1 Corinthians 13. 1 through 7 and verse 13. If I speak in the tongues and men, of tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Skip down to verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. It's the one, one reason it's greatest, and we, we skipped the passage there and to be, it, just for time's sake, but when we get to heaven, we won't need faith and hope because we'll already have it in our presence. What we will have is love, though. It continues on. It is the greatest. A month or so ago, I was watching Sunday afternoon, watching when the PGA came back on TV and, and live, everybody, I don't know if everybody was watching by no means, but, but you just, so many in our culture, including me, looking for live sports, so, and I like watching golf, I don't play it uh, at all, but I like watching it, but especially during that time, and still that's the case, but especially during that window of time, there were commercials about racial injustice, and one of the commercials that CBS had was James Brown and a commercial that had, I think, seven other CBS sports, uh, whether they were athletes or sportscasters, on a, potentially a Zoom call. That's what it looked like, and they had the clock of, of, of counting down in the middle of how long um, George Floyd was under the knee of the officer. And I was watching it, and there was there were multiple commercials during this time, and different things being said, and and all of them I think very honorable. But this one caught my attention in a different way. And as I listened to it, I was actually sitting down in a recliner just to sit, and, and someone else was in the room with me. And as I listened to James Brown speak, I looked at the other person and said, "He's quoting First Corinthians 13." He didn't say he was quoting 1 Corinthians 13, but you knew he was quoting 1 Corinthians 13. And it was powerful. And the greatest of these is love. I looked it up, and you can look it up also. James Brown is, is a very devout Christian. Most of you know James Brown from, from uh, CBS football, especially but from other avenues. But it was just a powerful moment when I heard that being spoken. And I've seen James since then and in another commercial all by himself speaking on love. And I'm not saying others are not, but in that moment I knew the scripture was going forth. And it was powerful. The greatest of these is love. Over the next few weeks, I hope to talk a little bit more about the greatest. 
A couple of passages of scripture that many of you are familiar with. Mark chapter 12, 38, 28, and 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus has given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Matthew 22, meaning again, you may quote it from different places, but teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If I condense it down, Jesus, if I'm condensing it, here's where we stand. The Ten Commandments fall under these two. Just look them up. They never went away. The Ten Commandments didn't go away. They are wrapped up in these two. Galatians 5.22. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, you can list the other traits there, and we can read through those, and we've preached on that, and you can look it up online, and they are unbelievable, and that we should have all those traits, sometimes some growing at different paces. But at the end of the day, now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is that gorilla glue, if you will, that holds the other virtues of the fruit of the Spirit together. It makes it a united whole. It's with, you can't have the other fruits of the Spirit, if you will, the traits of the Spirit, and not have love. You just can't do it. It is the common denominator of all Christian character. So if sometimes you say, well, I'm doing better at this. That's a, let me say, that's the reason why the legalistic approach to Christianity never works. Because it all has to come back to love. If your character virtues, or however you want to state it, don't come back to love, then you've missed it. Doesn't mean you're not doing some better things. Doesn't mean that you're not doing worthwhile things. It just misses this point, which is love. I think it would be impossible to overemphasize the fact that love is the evidence that you are born again. Luke 6, 27, 28. Let me test you a little bit here, okay? Because Jesus liked to do this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is impossible in the natural man. It cannot be produced by human effort. It is only the supernatural. When Christ comes into our life and begins to change the way we see the world, we begin, we begin to see different people differently. It is only in that. And as we read March, uh, the great commandment in Mark or in, in Matthew, what we realize is we cannot separate our personal relationship with Christ from our personal relationship with others. It cannot be done. 
For God so loved in John 3, 16, and most of you know that. If you don't, you've probably seen it at a football game or a basketball court behind the, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. And I, I, I was, and a, the, the word agape there, and, and there's a, the, the Greek word here, and I want to read this because I don't want to mess it up, but I, I love the way it says, the loves that, the, it's the type of love that moves in the interest of others without thought for self. It is a love willing to risk all for the possible advantage of another that counts no price too great if another can receive benefit. This love is so unique that you almost had to make a word up for it. This divine love, this unconditional love, this love that, that, that we talk about in grace, unmerited favor. And there's different kinds of love, obviously. If you, I say obviously if you haven't studied it, but there's eros. It's the physical or sensual kind of love. The problem is, if it's not in marriage, eros in itself, left alone, can become only selfish love. It's all about you. It's an erotic kind of love, if you will, that is healthy in a marriage relationship. But philea, or Philadelphia, or that brotherly love, it's, but it's... Described more as a friendship love that thinks in terms of getting as well as giving. Let me do that the other way. Getting versus giving. I did that backwards, didn't I? But it's that brotherly kind of love where we give and take. You know, I, I, I receive from you, you receive from me, whatever that is, whether it's brothers or sisters. But, it, but we receive that back and forth. Storge is this protective kind of love. It is that natural love and affection a parent has for their child or hopefully spouses have for each other, but especially that natural love that that parent steps into immediately and wants to protect. But agape. The word we're describing here today, whether it's in 1 Corinthians 13 or it's Mark or it's Matthew, or I'll talk about here in a minute, just in Philippians 1. Don't put it up yet. But Philippians 1, it is agape. Actively doing what the Lord prefers. What I love about this description, it's an additional description. Actively doing what the Lord prefers with him by his power and direction. Now, did you hear me? Actively doing what the Lord prefers with him by his power and direction. It's more than a feeling. It is an act of the will. Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I do what? I lay it down by my own accord. I lay it down by my own choice. Agape love is an act of the will. One of the most precious things, and we can see it in the garden. We can see it in, because God loves us so much, is a choice. 
The problem with agape love, it comes with great risk, makes you very vulnerable, and it comes with great responsibility. Anyone who's ever had a child, and again, not everybody either wants to be or can, and, I, and those who can, I, I, I pray the Lord will to, to help you understand this. And I don't understand all how that works, but one of the things I do know is as a father and as someone who has been is that there is not only that storge or that protective love, but there is that unconditional love. That comes, you put it, pour everything in without asking anything return. You pour everything into your child. You hope if it's functionally doing what it's supposed, you're supposed to do. If you're doing that, you pour your life into them, not knowing whether you'll get any return back. And what I mean by that is, wait till they get to be 16 or 17. And one day, you've put a roof over their head. You've, you, you've, you've sent them to school. You've bought them food. You've bought them a car. And somehow or another, one person steps into their life and they turn on you. <laughs> As if they didn't even know you. It comes with great risk. Agape loves what comes with great risk. So in our culture or whatever's going on in our world, it comes with great risk when you begin to live as Christ prefers. We live with him through his power and direction that we are vulnerable. We will love people that maybe never return it. Because we now, following after Christ, we love people not because of what they have or have not done. We love people because of who we've come in Christ. They could curse you, they could spit on you, they could slander you, they can do whatever, but they can't stop you from loving them because it's not dependent on them. It's dependent on what Christ is doing in your life. Changes everything. Changes a lot of frustration in some of your lives right now, just so you would know. Love. The greatest enemy to this kind of love, no doubt, is sin. And we know that sin plays itself out in all kinds of different ways, and we, we wouldn't have time today to probably go through all that list. I don't even know if we could come up with all the lists. People get creative in it, and so I don't know how to do all that. But you've heard me say multiple times here at this church and over the years, if sin had a job description, its job description would be What? Separation. Separation from God, separation from each other, and separation from our divine purpose. That is sin's job. It's the reason why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when we come back to Christ, we begin to follow after him. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Christ's love compels us to do what? To, to operate in the ministry of reconciliation is to take the separation that's happened from God to others and divine purpose and be an instrument of righteousness to bring those back together. What a, what, a, what a great job description you have. I don't know where you've been planted. I don't know where God's put you. I don't know where you're engaged and influential, but you have been called to be salt and light there. That I know. And I know what your ministry is. Now, it may play out in different ways and different passion strengths and, and gift strengths and passions and, and weaknesses and all those things that God uses to mix all together to cause us to make a difference in the world. But what I do know is it will always be about reconciliation. 
Ask yourself, what am I doing for the kingdom right now? And examine it and ask yourself, is this bringing people back to God? Is this bringing people back to each other? Is this bringing people back to their divine purpose? Because that's what happened in the garden. It was the separation. And we get to get in on the reconciliation. We can't help it. That's the reason I love the word compelled, what Paul uses there in 2 Corinthians 5. Christ's love compels us. If we're following after Christ, we can't help it because it's pouring out of us. So, with that as our definition of love, we can list off multiple sins There are two I want to mention to you, I hope briefly here, so we can get you on with your day, that I think we need to look at. As I've looked over these last many months on multiple different fronts, asking myself to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Are you in the mode right now that sometimes you just don't want to persevere? There have been times over the last three or four months, I'm going to be forthright with you. I just wanted to take that proverbial towel, whatever that looks like, and just toss it in. I don't mean suicidal. That's not what I'm saying. Just going, I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I just, it's just this wear and tear. I mean, you almost feel like initially you thought it was going to be a 5K if you're doing a run, and then it turned into a 10K. You go, okay, I can do 10K. Then you feel like, oh, it's going to be a marathon. Oh, okay, man, that's bad. Okay, I don't want to do a marathon. Then you find out it is a Ironman triathlon, and all of a sudden you're going to have to get a bike out, and you're going to have to run, and you're going to have to put a Speedo on somewhere along the way. My point is this. You don't know where it ends, right? So you got to make some decisions in the middle of it and go, man, I've got to start thinking about this different because I don't know where the end, whatever that means, is. So i got to begin to make some choices. So I begin to reevaluate, and I'm so thankful that I get some time off sometimes from speaking in this pulpit because each week I'm kind of getting to the next message. But sometimes it's good for me to step back for two or three, four weeks at a time. It really is because it allows me to get perspective because God has called me to lead this church, lead my home, lead my children, lead those who I maybe have influence on wherever it is. And sometimes you just need perspective. But a couple of things that I think are real dangerous when it comes to this kind of love that sometimes I think we overlook, even as believers. And one of them is this, indifference. And I want to write it down. I don't have it on the screen, but indifference. You know, and often in life, we read about things and watch them on TV or whatever it is. You look up it on the on the internet and you read about something or you watch it, like I said, watch it on TV, wherever it is. And it doesn't, since it doesn't affect me personally at this moment, it doesn't move me. Anybody ever been there? 
And I'm not saying that everybody needs to be an activist for every cause or injustice. That is not what I'm saying today. Concerning justice, and I think I quoted this a few weeks ago. I don't have it up on the screen. Justice means to make things right. I quoted T.D. Jakes when we're talking about the racial injustice. He says, we can't, we can't all do the same thing, but can't we all want the same thing? This is a kingdom question. We need to ask ourselves, what are kingdom questions? We know that equality of, of every man, woman, and child is a kingdom question. It's been answered. You really don't have to pray about it. It's been answered. We are all equal. We were all created equal. And you heard, many of you heard this saying over the years, and I'm not sure where it came from. I'm sure somebody, it's not my saying. said the opposite of love is not hate. It's what? Indifference. Well, that works sometimes because sometimes people are giving you that information. They're saying that to you so you can get over a relationship a lot of times. I've had that said to me most of the time. If I, my heart's broken, which, you know, most of the time I broke people's hearts. Over it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm not kidding about that. But uh, you go, man, I just want to hate them. I want to hate them. That would make me feel better. No, no, no. The opposite of hate is not love. It's you don't care anymore. And sometimes that thought works for the good. Like where we're going to go out to eat. You actually really don't care. Now, I've had that said in my family, and then I decide where we're going to eat, and I find out they do care. Ever had that happen? <laughs> okay, I'll decide. Oh, I don't want to do that. thought you didn't care. <laughs> thought you were indifferent. Sports. I mean, right now, anything that's live sports, I care about, okay? <laughs> but most of the time, I mean, they could show water polo right now, and I would care. I don't know why. <laughs> anything. I'm cornhole. How many have been watching cornhole? Raise your hand at home. Okay, Johnsonville, whatever, cornhole. Okay. But my point is, college football, I, I care. I'm not indifferent. I'm vested. But when it comes to your marriage... When it comes to raising children, if that's the case, when it comes to relationships you have, brothers and sisters, mom and dad, friends, when it comes to most of all your relationship with God, indifference cannot stand. You might want to be indifferent about COVID, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's different things along COVID-19 and all that's going on that you sometimes go, I'm just kind of indifferent on that, and I get that. Because you don't really know what to do with it. You don't really feel compelled either way. Racial injustice. Again, back to what T.D. Jakes said. We may not all be able to do the same thing, but man, can we want the same thing? And our conversations and wherever we are in our sphere of where we're engaged and influential, can't we all want that? And whatever tools have been put on our hand to make a difference. Our environment, our climate, and some of you, all of a sudden, you're more ups, you think I'm going to try to promote something here. Well, let me say this about, I think we as Christians are responsible for this earth. How all that plays out, again, one of the big challenges I'll talk about here in just a minute is people's motives, and you don't really know who and what to believe and all those kind of things, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let me say this, I may not even have a passion to be out on the front as an activist 
for specifically climate uh, change or the environment or whatever that is. But I do know this. I grew up in an era in the 60s where people just threw their trash on the side of the road. They just threw trash out all the time. I came from a state when I moved here from Texas that we have big old signs that say, don't mess with Texas. And they're not talking about going to war. They're talking about litter. But I may not be an activist out on the front line blogging about it or doing all those kind of things, but I don't, I never, my kids will tell you, I ne- if the statement is, and again, somebody's going to fact check me and send it in, so whatever, okay? But if all the water we're ever going to have is already on the earth, if that's the case, if all the water that's ever going to be on the earth, I heard this one time, and again, you can fact check me and I'll be fine. Does that mean sometimes when I'm taking a bath, maybe the same water Jesus was baptized in? I just tell my kids that. We don't know, right? <laughs> if it's all recycled. But the one of the things my kids will tell you, I never throw a water bottle away or a container that has water in it because if, if that's the case, how many years is it going to take for that thing to, 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 to break down and that water finally get out again? I know it seems strange. I'm not a scientist, but it just seems like to me if that's all the water we got, why would we want to be putting it in water bottles, putting the lid on it, and stick it in the trash? That makes sense to me. All I'm saying is, and I recycle, my point is, I'm not an activist, but I want to do something. Somebody else may take it on, and I don't know all the things I need to know about all that. I'm not even sure I'll ever work all that out. But one of the things I'm convinced of, what I have watched over time, When someone moves to, from indifference, even in their own lives, when they would never have made a change in their own life if it was only about them, but when they finally realize that the changes they need in their life, they can do it because of others, and especially if they're empowered by Christ and his spirit working through them and they've got good community, it is amazing what God can do is moving people from indifference to caring because of love. Because they found somebody or something. The reason I came to Christ was when Sydney was born into our home. I never had enough, in, I was indifferent to God. I was just didn't really care either way, if you will. But when Sydney came in, I was now more responsible, not only for Jan, but for Sydney and the children to come. I now was willing to do the, get the structure in place and find the, the, hopefully found the creator who would give me a divine purpose. I found him and he changed me because I saw I needed to change for the love of others, not for the love of me. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your agape may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Yet this is my prayer that your agape love, 
may abound. I just think about that. See kids out on the bounce house, just abound. This is, it's just blowing up out of you. Abound more and more in knowledge. The, the description here literally, I know intimacy has taken on a terrible phrase in our culture because it usually begins and ends with a physical relationship, but this is intimacy. It's agape love that is abounding in knowledge and depth of insight. Take that to our relationship with Christ. Take that with our relationship to others. Take that. That's where you take it. And I've made a decision over this last month or so, actually a little longer than that, that instead of being frustrated, I want to be educated. So maybe you sit around getting frustrated all the time. Educate yourself. Look for knowledge and depth of insight. Jesus, I think it's in Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 9, the scripture tells us that he goes into the towns and the villages and the cities and he saw the people and he had compassion on them. The word says he went, he saw, and he had compassion. The reason some of you have, not, have been indifferent to things that are kingdom issues is because you've not educated yourself and you haven't went. I realize we're not supposed to go a lot of places right now. I get that. But you can educate yourself. I don't know if there's been a better time in history ever to educate yourself. Even being at home. Instead of being educated, I mean, instead of being frustrated, get educated. Learn. And the second thing, and again, I know I'm running along here. Second thing is that, that breaks love besides indifference is distrust slash. And I, this is not a slash. I, I'm making this up as I go here. I don't know your motive. Why is it so hard to understand COVID-19? Why is it still so hard to figure out what we, what we can do more in racial injustice? Why is it so hard to figure out what to do with the environment? Why is it so hard? Because we don't know who to trust. I think. I don't know if I can, under, I can trust your motive. I don't know. And so it gives this... That's the reason why whoever, whether it's political, whether it's news and media, whether it's organizations, how do I know? And it's easy to point the finger at everybody else. I don't trust that politician. I don't trust politics. I don't trust this or that. I don't trust that news organization. I don't trust any of them. I don't trust those organizations. I don't trust the government. I don't trust, and then we don't, you know what it allows us to do? To point the finger everywhere else and ask, can I be trusted? It allows us to point the finger everywhere else and says, where am I entrusting God? Because when we read this Mark and Matthew, when it says to love the Lord your God, you could put in there, uh, am, I, am, am I indifferent to God? Really, as a believer, not, not even people who are far away from God like I was, but as a believer, am I indifferent? So that love there can be replaced with indifference, or that love can be replaced with, do I trust God? Really? Do I really trust Him? Because of all the things that's happened in my life, do I trust Him? How come that person gets that and they got all that money and they go, can I trust him? 
How come I lost my baby and they've got three? And it's horrible. But can I trust him? How come I lost my job and they are prospering? How come my marriage is in trouble? How come my children are rebelling? Our society is in chaos. Are you really trustworthy, God? Can people count on you, though? You know, as a young person, we learn to trust. We'd never learn to ride a bike. We'd probably never jumped off the side of the pool because we trusted. I believe few things are more sacred between people than trust. And fewer things, I don't know if there's anything more devastating and more impactful when that trust is broken. Man, if that's where we are with God, to love the Lord your God can't say, I distrust you, God. I love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. We'll talk about that, uh, Lord willing, next week. But if I say that, Lord, I, I can't say love agape. I can't say what you prefer, which is what this definition of agape is. I can't say that because I'm, the word that keeps coming around in my mind is I distrust you. It's what happened in the garden. You can go read it in Genesis 2 and 3. Simply do not eat from that tree. We don't know why the tree was that way, but Eve felt and was whispered, and, and the separation began of what? Doubt, which leads to distrust, that God somehow, way, is holding out on me. Can I, dist- can I trust God to give out his grace Fair. I don't think that person deserves it. I know I deserve it. I know I, I deserve it. I'm so glad I got it, but I'm not sure why you thought they did. Trust is that element in love that is perfectly sure. I want to read this. Trust is the element in love that is perfectly sure of the other's goodness and motives. And it's more than being able to tell the truth, or you've heard me talk about this in ethos in our uncommon teaching. It's more than being able to tell the truth, or to trust you with my money, or my car, or my wife, or my house, or anything like that. It's when you can trust that person's values, their decisions, their motives. And that trust only comes when you live a life of consistency, a life of favor and integrity, and knowing where you're headed. 
You've heard me say trust leads to vulnerability and vulnerability leads to intimacy and it's the intimacy I described in 1 Philippians 1, 9 through 11. In knowledge and depth of insight. Why are so many marriages in trouble? Why? We want intimacy in marriages. We want intimacy in relationships. But it's more than eros. Thank goodness that's the one place as we see those four. That's the reason why we feel that marriage is so sacred us as Christians because that's the only place where all four of those can come together. Agape, eros, sorge, leo. Philadelphia, brotherly, friendship. You take out agape, everything else begins to fall apart. Trust is so valuable, friend, it's scary that it's so underrated. It affects everything. It is the foundation. And when you lose those people, we talk about it here, fans, many of you have heard that, people who love you but are not impressed by you, people who have your best interest at heart always, you know their motives, and man alive, I've said, you've heard me when I do my teaching on it, you may only have, if you have two handfuls in your life, you're very fortunate. We're not talking about a hundred, we're just talking about a few. People who love you but are not impressed by you have your best interest at heart. That you know when they speak into your life, they speak with the right motives. That's the reason why, like for me, when, I, when my mom and dad passed away, my pool got smaller. When Brother Paul Sr. passed away 22 years ago now, my pool got smaller. When John Voorhees passed away a few years ago, my pool got smaller because I knew I could set it in front of them and they would speak truth into my life. Now, I've still got some, but I'm telling you, that's the reason why sometimes when you have losses in your life, some have a different weight than others. And I don't mean that to, to minimize anybody's life in general. It's just that there are certain people who speak into your life that you just can't replace because they love you that much. Do you want to be that kind of person? Can people trust you? Where am I indifferent right now that I should not be? As I watch TV, what should I not be indifferent about? I don't care. I'm talking about kingdom issues, not water polo and cornhole. I'm talking about kingdom issues. I'm not saying you got to go be an activist and be out front, but what should you be caring about and maybe get educated about just a little bit? Can I be trusted and counted on? Can my motives be trusted? That's Josiah and them to come down. Because when we begin to think about agape love, the kind of love that God prefers for us to live out through his power, all we have to do is look at the cross to understand what that means. And I heard this saying this week that has just stuck with me, and I 
I think it's an awesome saying that Juliet Funk and those who have listened to Juliet Funk on, from Global Leadership Summit, she's saying she was a hard, she was a hardcore optimist. She said, in this one and only day, in my one and only life, do I want to look at fear or do I want to shine a light? I thought, man, wouldn't that be a great statement to close here today? In this one and only day, in my one and only life, do I want to spend it criticizing or creating? In this one and only day, in my one and only life, do I want to spend it being frustrated or educated? In this one and only day, in my one and only life, do I want to spend it being a person of distrust or trust? In this one and only day in my one and only life, do I want to spend it dividing or reconciling? In this one and only day in my one and only life, do I want to spend it indifferent or compassionate with the love of Christ? Every day in this one and only day in my one and only life, I have this great choice to decide, Lord, show me. Show me where I've been indifferent that I should be compassionate. Show me. That when I say 1 Corinthians 13 is my goal, when I say Mark and Matthew of the great commandment we read today is my goal, I've given you permission to do what you need to do in my life. And Lord, we just pray right now, as you come, as you have come, as we prayed in this room already early this morning, Lord, as we, as we pray right now for the movement of your Spirit across this valley, across this country, around the world, that Lord, would you would use this word today that comes from you, that we would be people of caring and compassion a people of trust for your glory. But we love you. Help us now as we sing and reminded of that agape love. In Jesus' name we pray.